want to say Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, my heart is so full of joy that Christ has come and that we get to celebrate this good news together with even all these little ones that God has so graciously blessed us with. What a good God that we serve. When we gathered for worship yesterday, we said that Christmas is like this wonderful jewel that no matter how you turn it, no matter what angle of it you consider, there's just this incredible beauty to it. This is my son, by the way. You can't be mad at children on Christmas, so you're going to have to pardon that, okay? We said that Christmas is like this jewel that every side that you turn it at, you consider it, you're seeing more and more of its wonder and its beauty. Yesterday, when we gathered for worship, we said that one of these angles that we've considered is that the reason the Son of God appeared First John told us, is to destroy the works of the devil. Well, tonight, briefly, I want us to meditate on another one of these angles to this precious jewel, another reason why Jesus came. And what I want us to consider briefly as we meditate together is how Jesus came and to whom Jesus came. I, I want you to think about how God made his appearance. How God made his entrance into the world. Think about how we make our entrances. Right? Think about important people, special people, um, talented people, beautiful people, how they make their entrance. If you're going to a big Hollywood premiere, do the celebrity simply sneak into the movie theater and wait for the show to start? No, they roll out the red carpet and there's paparazzi and cameras and video crews everyone there to capture every single moment. Think about how athletes show up onto their center stage, onto their field, uh, whether it be the basketball court or the football field. Do they simply step in and fill into their positions? No. There's a tunnel. There's fireworks. There's an announcer who announces each name. Some of the athletes have their own signature entrance, and thousands and thousands and thousands of eyes are watching their every moment and every move, cheering them on, applauding for them, celebrating them their entire way. Think about how an important person, like even the president, enters. When the president is going to address the entire nation and give his State of the Union, does he simply walk up to the podium unassuming and unannounced? By no means. A door is thrown open in the back. A man steps forward and announces the president of the United States of America. And then the entire room stands up in applause and cheering and ovation for 10 and 12 minutes as the president slowly makes his way down the front, shaking hands with not average Joes like you and me, but important people, elite people, the powerful people, dignitaries, prominent people, shaking hands all the way 10, 12 minutes later after much applause to address people. Think about how even nobodies like us, we we joke about making an entrance, showing up to places fashionably late. We want, even in our small spheres and circles, for the who's who to know about us, to notice us, to speak about us. We want so badly for there to be a buzz around even average people like us. And then think about how God as you hear that word, let the weight of who he is just fall on your heart. Think about how God 
Almighty God, who was and is and forever shall be, who had no beginning, who needed not cameras because stars flashed for him, who needed not paparazzi because angels adored him and sang to him, when God wrapped himself in flesh and entered the world, hardly anyone even noticed. Just about everyone missed it. God had come in the flesh, and there was no pomp and no circumstance and no ceremonies. There were no dignitaries awaiting his arrival, no palaces, no hospitals. I mean, when you read again, as you'll do this week, as you'll do tomorrow, as you read again the gospel story, if there's a word that comes rushing to the forefront when you think of the birth of Jesus, it's the word humble. Jesus' birth was humble. He came in great humility. I mean, every detail of the story just keeps shouting to you, whoever this God is, he is humble. You can't miss that from the moment he arrives on the scene. This God is humble. There's no hospital for him. There's no dignitaries for him. There's no palace for him. There's no kings or queens waiting for him. There's not even room in the hotels in Bethlehem for him. Every detail, he's born in a stable. He's placed in a manger. His guests are livestock. Everything about his birth shouts that this God is humble. He wasn't born to a queen. He was born to a scared teenage girl. And there was a scandal looming over her pregnancy that wouldn't even go away after he arrived. In fact, even into his adult years, there was whispering about the legitimacy of his birth. He wasn't born to a king. He was born to a carpenter. The head of a family that we're told was not even well off enough to give the sacrifices that average income folks give, but rather had to give the sacrifices that were a special provision made for the poor. This is the family into which God wrapped himself in flesh and came. And think about the humility of this God. We were upstairs praying and we thought to ourselves, could you imagine that God you know, Mary's belly grew. He didn't just appear. And so for nine months, cells were dividing. This God had really become one of us. Cells were dividing as her belly grew. He came as a baby. And humility marked everything about his arrival. And that was fitting because everything about Jesus' life was humble. And if humility in his arrival itself is not a lesson for us, it is. You heard Binu read in the scriptures in the beginning, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ, who though he was equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. And so if the humble arriving of Jesus wasn't enough, we think of not only how he came, but who he came for. Who did he come for? As Joe read the story, you heard who did God send the choir of angels to? And in the story, it was told, well, he didn't send it to a concert hall or to a palace packed with kings and dignitaries. He sent his choir of angels to a countryside, to a hillside where there were nothing but shepherds watching their sheep by night. Now, 2,000 years later, the context of that is lost on us. So we hear that detail about shepherds, and we think nothing of it. But in that day, you should know that shepherds were the lowest rung of the ladder. 
I mean, shepherds were thought of so poorly, were so disreputable. They had character that was so questionable that they weren't even allowed to gather with the rest of the people. So if you gathered for church like we're doing now, picture an outer section where all of us would come in, but the shepherds would be standing out in the back, not fit to associate with the rest of us, respectable, dignified, good people. They were thought of so poorly that often their testimony was not even admissible in court. Shepherds were in every way the lowest rung of the social ladder. They were lumped up with all the other outcasts and the misfits and the mess-ups and the screw-ups, all the folks that had made just a mess of their lives, all the folks who had stories that you couldn't repeat out loud to respectable people, who had done things that you couldn't say out in daylight. That, that whole bunch of them were lumped together, and that is to whom God sent his choir of angels. It was to them that he announced I have good news of great joy that will be for all people, even nobodies like shepherds. And it was fitting that Jesus, even from his birth, came to a bunch of nobodies because it was to nobodies that his whole life and ministry and death would be aimed towards. Right? As you read Jesus' life, you're struck over and over and over again by how much the nobodies flock to Jesus. Right? The elite hate him. The outcasts love him. The Bible scholars despise him. The uneducated fishermen follow him. The who's who of society crucify him. The sinners and the riffraff and all the rest adore him, worship him, trust him. Jesus was somebody who came for nobodies. And on this Christmas Eve, as we get ready to celebrate Christmas, I think what that means for us, if we are going to be Jesus' people, we've got to be people who tell everybody that there is somebody who came for nobodies. We've got to be people who tell everybody that there is somebody who came for nobodies. I'm reminded of this one story I heard from a preacher sociologist named Tony Campolo. He's a man who's from our own neck of the woods, from our own area. I'll tell you his story, and then I'll sit down. He told the story of once being invited to preach in Honolulu. And he said that there was this time zone difference between where he was and Honolulu, and so he found himself at 3 in the morning hungry. And so he made himself go into the city and find any place that was open. And so he found in this shady, seedy part of the city this beat-up, run-down, dirty, filthy, shady-looking diner the only thing that was open at three in the morning and so he goes in and he has a seat at the counter he tells the story that then this pot-bellied man came out from behind the counter with a cigar in his mouth asked him what do you want and he said i want a coffee and a donut he says that the man scratched himself and then grabbed a donut with the same hand and there he was sitting there at the counter drinking his coffee eating his dirty donut and at 3.30 in the morning, he said a bunch of women came into the diner. And just by looking at them, he knew exactly what their profession was. About nine prostitutes filed in and sat in the seats right next to him. And they just chatted and talked as though they hadn't even noticed he was there. One of them told one of her friends, Do you know tomorrow is my birthday? 
And this other friend seemed disinterested or didn't seem impressed and said to her, so what do you want me to do? What, what do you want, a party? What, what, why are you telling me that? And this woman said, no, I'm turning 39 years old. I've never had a birthday party in my life. I wouldn't know why I would have one now. I just figured I would tell somebody. They continued talking, and then eventually they left. And Tony Campola says that he called to the man behind the counter, and he said, who was that whose birthday it is tomorrow? And the man said, that's Agnes. And he said, what if we throw a birthday party here tomorrow, 3.30 in the morning? Does she come every night? And he said, he does. And at that idea, the man behind the counter finally got excited and alive. He called to his wife and he said, honey, you got to hear this. This man wants to throw Agnes a party. And, and this wife of his grabbed Tony Campola by the arm and said, sir, that is a great idea. Agnes is one of the good ones. Nobody knows that, but Agnes is a good person. And so the man behind the counter baked a cake the next day and Tony Campola went out and bought streamers and flyers and and balloons and all the rest and at 3.30 in the morning they invited all of Agnes's friends which happened to be peers in her profession and so now at 3 in the morning there was this diner filled with prostitutes and one preacher and at 3.30 Agnes walked in with her friends and the room erupted they shouted surprise they began singing happy birthday they brought out the cake and she was visibly overcome and overwhelmed shaking over she asked Tony Campolo if she could not cut the cake, but take it home and show her mother. And he said, it's your cake. You can do whatever you want. And so she took this cake so that she could go a few doors down and show her mother the very first birthday cake she had ever had in her whole life. And when she walked out, this room is filled wall to wall with prostitutes and one preacher. And so he blurted out the one thing he knew to say. He said, why don't we pray? And so they all looked at him, and he began to pray. And he said, God, would you redeem Agnes from whatever filth men have done to her? And would you come and make her a new creation? Jesus, we know that you came to take people, no matter what they've been through or no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, you can make them new. Would you do that for Agnes? And when he finished praying, he says that the man behind the counter said to him, told me you were a sociologist. I know you're a preacher. What church do you belong to? And he said the Spirit gave him just the right words because he said, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for whores at three in the morning. And the man behind the counter said, no you don't, because I would join a church like that. And he ended his message by saying, wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all want to be a part of a church that throws birthday parties for whores at three in the morning? And that's the church that Jesus Christ came to build. That's the church Jesus Christ wants Seven Mile Road to be. Jesus Christ came for a bunch of nobodies. He did so from the hour of his birth to shepherds watching their flocks by night announced this good news and his point is so that now there are no more choirs of angels lighting up the world it would be through us it would be that we would tell everybody that there is somebody who came for all the nobodies so that we might show up in every corner and every city and every street and announce to the world I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all people. Today, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. What a humble God you are, and we give you thanks. Thank you for being born into our world and coming for nobodies like us. And now grace us, O oh Lord, that we might go here, from here full of gladness, like lights in a dark world, as agents of your hope and peace and love and joy, that through us you might announce to the world good news of great joy for all people, all people, that there is a Savior, and his name is Christ. Pray this in his name.